millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. And alongside me, as always, we've got TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And Scott, have I ever told you that I won the FA Cup? Minto, here's what's coming up on today's show. Call me a traditionalist. I, I, I don't see the League Cup as a, a second-class competition. If you're Chelsea this season, you could only realistically win two trophies uh, because they were never going to challenge for the Premier League title during a rebuild. And this is a fantastic opportunity. I mean, it will be really interesting to see what he does with Kevin De Bruyne. You know, Crookie made two points there. Does he start with him and give him 90 minutes? Well, I think he should start with him, but I don't think he should give him 90 minutes. He's not quite ready for that. If we're going to see some action, I think we will see some action between now and next Thursday. I think we're going to see a lot of loan deals, potentially uh, with options to buy. Although even in the case of Calvin Phillips, from what I understand, that option isn't set in stone because West Ham aren't, completely certain that they can take on his wages. If Milan have a great player and they're going to sell it to an, a, a player in Serie A, they're going to get 20 million for that player. And then if a Premier League come, club comes sniffing around, all of a sudden they go, well, hold on, we're even going to get 60 million for him now. See Rasmus Hoyland for details. Hello, gentlemen. Is everyone OK? Morning, guys. Yeah, are we envisioned today? Because... Um... Crookie's turned. I'm I'm in a hoodie, and Crookie's turned up in his Basildon Bonds stroke James Bonds uh, roll neck. Yeah, you can only see the top half. <laughs> don't, don't want to think about the bottom half now. Said everybody who was watching on YouTube. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the ghost transfer window a little bit later on, and how everyone has been spooked by PSR. I sent Crooker a few figures last night, and uh, we were sort of both doing that. You know that screaming emoji. Uh, that you get um, when you sort of you're shocked by something. We're both doing that, um, but we'll do that a little bit later on. Oh, Scott and I were at uh, Liverpool on uh, Wednesday night, or Fulham Liverpool on Wednesday night to watch what was a really entertaining competitive game uh, between uh, Fulham and Liverpool. Liverpool did well. Fulham really gave everything, I think, during the game, and Chelsea. Uh, beat Middlesbrough by six goals to one. Not as competitive, but uh, equally impressive, I think. Scott, go on, Chelsea. Um, yeah, I, I must admit. I mean, I was at the Valley Tuesday night, so I, I watched the Chelsea game the, the, the morning of, of Wednesday. And you know, I know what Piercy was saying about Middlesbrough started well on, on you know listening to him as well on, on Talk Sport. And I actually thought Chelsea didn't play that well, and for the first sort of twenty minutes, but then bang, 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 game over. But I just think generally that that game will give them a lot of confidence. If they'd have somehow not gone through to the final, then my goodness me, could you imagine how crooky would be? The sort of deflector of the United problems. <laughs> um, you know, everyone, and rightly so, to be fair, would have been on top of Pochettino and, and Chelsea. So great to get through to the final and brilliant to get a really convincing win. I feel for Mickey Carrick, a former teammate of mine. I think he's doing really, really well. But I, I think ultimately... As well as they started, they they didn't weren't able to change the tactics, and um, and Chelsea are far by the better side. Yeah, I just wanted to say that I thought Liverpool played really well, and I think the fact that he's regenerated the squad and brought through some of the youngsters has been incredibly impressive to bolster a squad which is depleted of number at this moment in time. I think he deserves a lot of credit for that, Jurgen Klopp. Uh, but uh, just talk to us about the importance of the Carabao Cup, um, Alex. You know when you haven't had a great period and you win the Carabao Cup, can it help you kick on? <laughs> well, it hasn't helped Manchester United kick on, has it? But listen, I, I, call me a traditionalist. I, I, I don't see the League Cup as a, a second-class competition. If you're Chelsea this season, you could only realistically win 
two trophies uh, because they were never going to challenge for the Premier League title during a rebuild. And this is, is a fantastic opportunity. I think I'm right in saying it was Jose Mourinho's first trophy as Chelsea yeah. manager. It certainly gave him a, a platform. So I think for mm-hmm. Pochettino, it's really important they've got to the final. And even more important, they now go on and win it for Liverpool. Their fans are getting very excited and talking about a possible quadruple, aren't they? Mm. Uh, they unfurled this brilliant banner at the end of the game, which just said, imagine being us. <laughs> <laughs> no Premier League this weekend, uh, as it's FA Cup fourth round weekend. And it kicks off with two mammoth games on TalkSport. Cup fourth round starts here, and why would you want to be anywhere else in the world for that matter? Pedro Porro, let's fly! Oh, what a goal! Pedro Porro with an FA Cup cracker for Tottenham. If we can get past Manchester City in the FA Cup, for me that should be a big priority for Ange. Is to, to look at that cup and go, this is a competition we can win. The FA Cup's a significant event. Yeah, great competition, great tradition, great history, and uh, looking forward to us uh, having a crack at it. Bowden down the right onto Alvarez, who shoots towards the far corner. It's a brilliant Julian Alvarez goal. Let's take a look all of Europe. The FA Cup's a one game, how difficult it is for everyone. Kuliszewski, has its critics, it often gets undermined, but there's no doubt when it comes to FA Cup weekends, the fans absolutely love it. Spurs' last chance to end the season with a trophy starts against Manchester City on Friday night, live on TalkSport. What a game this is going to be. And Spurs have got a terrific record against um, Manchester City. Riyad Mahrez, the last Manchester City player to score a winning goal away at Tottenham. And that, would you believe, was at Wembley. It was so long ago. Um, They've won every single one of the last five home matches against Manchester City without conceding a goal. How does that continue, Scott? Well, I mean, I I, I don't think it does continue as such. Not certainly not the conceding a goal. I mean, first of all, I hope it's like the the league game at the beginning of December. I mean, how good would that be if it ends up being something similar to that? But what you've got is... Again, you, you, you look at sort of like a, a Conte team against an Ange team. These are two totally different styles. So you're not going to get... You, I mean, what you get with Tottenham, you get goals going forward. You get goals being conceded. And, and Manchester City, we know how good they are as well. But I think when you have got that kind of... You know me, I don't go too far back in terms of years of got one over another side. But the players in the team have beaten Manchester City. So therefore, mm. they, they don't go in being absolutely scared. And I think we also saw that in the league game as well. So it's going to be absolutely fascinating. And as ever, it's all about the teams being picked and, and how strong the teams are. You would imagine Pep would still try and make it as strong as possible. Or even a second eleven is very, very strong. I think there's pressure on Ange to make sure he picks a strong, strong eleven, especially what, are, what happened in the Carabao Cup. Well, clearly, you know, this is, as we've already alluded to, Ange Postecoglou's best chance, only chance of, of winning a trophy. Um, and he's probably going to give it his full um, attention, bearing in mind they've had a two-week break coming into it. Pep Guardiola's not got the luxury of a five-point lead like he would usually have at this stage of the of the season in the Premier League. Uh, he is chasing. Uh, they're still in the uh, Champions League as well. Might be tempted to be a little bit more frugal and pragmatic with his team selection. That doesn't mean much. But what does mean much, um, Crookie, is that City have failed to win five of their last 13 away matches. If you can see a chink in their armour, it's usually not at the Etihad. Absolutely. They're uh, they're still phenomenal at home. But yeah, they have been gettable away this season. And I think it, it is a problem if he decides to rest players because we saw that in the Carabao Cup when they made an unusually early exit in that competition. I don't think the Manchester City squad this season is as deep as it has been in years gone by. They've got players like Erling Haaland, obviously, uh, on their way back from injury. Does he risk Kevin De Bruyne and, and play him for the full 90 minutes? He might decide that maybe actually needs the minutes under his belt. But I think I think this is a big chance for Tottenham, given their record, given the fact that I think they will go strong. James Madison obviously returned to training this week. Looks like he's going to feature. That will be a massive boost. But just as a general point with these FA Cup games, I've felt this for a few years now. I don't like the scheduling of the Premier League fixtures in the midweek immediately after the FA Cup fourth round. I think it devalues the competition. I think we're going to see a lot of weakened teams, particularly from those sides down at the foot of the table. Sheffield United play Crystal Palace in a huge game uh, coming up this 
midweek. So they're not going to be at their strongest against Brighton. And I think it's something that needs looking at. Well, the reason that that happened, of course, is so that everyone can have a winter break. And you would have thought that having had two weeks off in the sunshine, sunning themselves, unless you're one or two that decided to go through FA Cup third round replays and, and waste that opportunity, um, then you will be uh, then you then you'll be refreshed and ready to go. So you won't need to rest that many. Bearing in mind they've had two weeks off. I mean, how Scott, as someone who played in an era when there were a few more games on the calendar, let's be clear. Um, did you ever sort of bulk at playing? two games in a week when you sort of already had a couple of weeks off before that? No, I, I think the fact they've got a couple of weeks off or they had a couple of weeks off, I think you're able to go as strong as you want. I mean, it will be really interesting to see what he does with Kevin De Bruyne. You know, Crookie made two points there. Does he start with him and give him 90 minutes? Well, I think he should start with him, but I don't think he should give him 90 minutes. He's not quite ready for that as yet, but he is ready for more than 45 I think his performances already have been superb when he's come off the bench and he's changed games, you know, already making assists and scoring goals. So I want to see him start. Whereas with James Madison, if he's literally only just started training this week, I think it's far too early to 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 start him. Maybe on the bench, give him 20 minutes, but but no more than that. You have to protect these players. But no, absolutely, Sam, in terms of having the 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 uh the break already, these players are ready to go. Yeah, there should be. Uh, Erling Haaland might not be ready to go yet, but he's back in training as well, which is really important if you drafted him at the beginning of the season in your fantasy team and uh, have been waiting desperately for him to come back like me. I've been sort of really hamstrung, by the way, in my fantasy team. James Madison and Erling Haaland both getting injured. It's absolutely killed me because you can't give those players back. You've got to keep them because, you know, you can't be, you can't be risking that somebody else will pick them up later down the line. Um, so uh, I'm crossing my fingers. Imagine how many points you'd be on now, Sam, if they were fit. I know, exactly. I'd be steaming away. It would make it uncompetitive. It would. Uh, And and no one wants that. Um, They would have to put in PSR regulations into the fantasy draft. Um, Is there a more important game for Spurs this season? This is number one priority now, bearing in mind their league position. Crook, we sort of mentioned that they can throw all their eggs into this basket, but for Tottenham fans, the cup is usually something that they love to see them compete in. Well, I think you caveated your own question in a way there. Is this Tottenham's most important game of the season? I think if you ask Daniel Levy and maybe even Ange Postacoglu for an honest answer, if they come to the final day of the season and they've got a chance of getting in the top four, they'll put that as their priority. But for the Spurs fans, they're so starved of trophies. I think a lot of them would take winning the FA Cup and missing out on a Champions League place. Okay, Chelsea against Aston Villa is Friday night. The reason it's Friday night is because of the way that Fulham's games also are scheduled. So Fulham have got to play on a Tuesday night, so they can't play uh, on any other day than Saturday. Therefore, Chelsea have to play on Friday night and the police won't allow the Chelsea and Fulham games to happen on the same day. So it's nothing to do with TV because this isn't even on TV. The only place you'll be able to get it is live on TalkSport 2 with Alex Crook and Scott Minto. Woohoo! What a dream team pairing that is. I hope he wears his special silky Black roll neck for you, Scott. Um, Chelsea already into one cup final, emphatic style. How much confidence will that give them uh, in uh, from midweek in going into this game against an Aston Villa team who actually, Scott, they had the better of in the home game between the two earlier in the season and still managed to fashion a way to lose? Yeah, I hope uh, Crookie puts some trousers on, by the way. Um, top half, <laughs> bottom half, not so much. Um, no, absolutely. I, I think it will give him lots of confidence. We talked about how big this month was or is for, for Chelsea. Imagine getting knocked out of the Carabao Cup against a, a championship side, getting knocked out of the FA Cup by Villa, Liverpool to come and a, a possible defeat there, or go through to the final, go through to the next round in the Cup and get some points, if not actually get a win off Liverpool. So I, th- I think that would have given him a lot of confidence. Again, not just in terms of getting through to the final, pressure off there, but I think it would have given the players a lot of confidence by absolutely blitzing Middlesbrough. But it's, it's a fascinating, yeah, again, we talk about team selection and we know that Emery loves a cup competition and he certainly loves the Europe competition. You know how much I love the FA Cup, but this is the least of the three important. I think Aston Villa really have to try it. They've got a wonderful opportunity for top four. It may even be top five getting into the Champions League for next season. That's their number one priority. And then I would mm. suggest that they've got a great chance of winning the Europa Conference League as well. So in terms of here, again, you know, they, they should be ready, Villa. Um, I'm interested in his team selection. In terms of Chelsea, maybe he just needs to make a few tweaks just to see how the fitness 
are in the players. But if they're all right, why not go again? Because every one of them should be really confident, especially Ben Chilwell. Yeah, because arguably, um, Crookie, actually, that's a key point, isn't it? You know, they've had games galore over the last little while, Chelsea, or two games in a row. And Aston Villa have been uh, off on their winter holidays. However, we've seen with Fulham in the game last night, but also prior to that, even Liverpool in their first game back after their break against Bournemouth. Sometimes it takes a couple of minutes to get that out of your legs. It, it takes it takes 20, 30 minutes for you to find your feet again. Yeah, but the, the good thing is he was able to bring off players in the second half because they were so comfortable. So I, I'm actually thinking this is going to be a strong Chelsea team. I think Pochettino also learned his lesson uh, when it came to the domestic cups a few seasons ago. I think it was a quarter final when Southampton lost to Sunderland in the FA Cup and he, he made numerous changes. He got absolutely hammered by the Southampton fans. And I remember in the following press conference leading up to the next Premier League game, he kept us journalists behind afterwards to sort of understand and get our explanation as to why the Southampton fans were so unhappy, why the domestic cups are taken so seriously here. So I think that was a bit of a watershed moment for him. And, and I think this could be a brilliant game. I'm delighted that Scott and I are going to be doing it on TalkSport too, because I think Aston Villa, um, they're going to take the cup competition seriously this season. Although Unai Emery's record in domestic cups is not great. I think he's only won one game since he became Aston Villa manager. That was in the last round against Middlesbrough. And they I think Pochettino... Will, last year or something ridiculous. They did, like yeah. Uh, and I think Pochettino will want to build up momentum. Is it seven successive home victories now? Did I read that right? I think it's seven wins in eight, isn't it, overall? But they've had a very good home record. Um, it's been particularly impressive. Um, obviously, I think they've been enhanced by uh, having a, a really good left-back, Scott. I mean, it's amazing how the game has changed, isn't it? <laughs> no, it hasn't changed at all. They have to have a really good left-back. so important. <laughs> Um, no, absolutely. And, and look, and let's talk about the fullbacks generally. I mean, everyone's saying about how Chelsea have been poor and they, of course they have been poor, incredibly inconsistent. But when you lose Ben Chilwell and Reese James for a period of time, those two players are arguably the best fullback partnership or one of, certainly in the country and, and Europe as well, that you miss so much of what they can offer, not mm. just defensively, but going forward. You know, with respect to Levi Colwell, you know, he's a centre-half playing left-back. And Malagusta, to be fair, has done well since he's come in. But he's just tell me what's different game. about Chilwell playing out there. Just just tell me technically what he does, which is different to everybody else. Because we notice so much at Chelsea look just more, just look, looked a better balanced team, obviously. But what is it? Is it, is it? is it the fact that he's able to open his body up and play out towards the left? What is it? Explain it to us. No, it's actually sort of going forward the t- and the timing of his runs. And we saw quite a few times him getting you know, in behind, how he, he curved his run and got in behind, nearly scored. He felt he should have had a penalty midweek, um, set up as well by coming inside. You've, he's almost like a midfielder, you know, and he's able to go forward. Levi Cole was a very good defender, but I see him as a centre-half. But when you're asking centre-halves to play further forward up the pitch, they're just not used to it. They've not, not, you, they're not done it. Whereas Ben Chilwell, with the ability that he's got, his football intelligence... His lung capacity, he's a really good runner as well, so he can get up and down. It's just about keeping the guy fit, which is exactly the same for Reese James as well. OK, Aston Villa are going to Chelsea and uh, Chelsea will be hoping to continue their cup success. Aston Villa uh, will be looking to continue what has been a terrific season for them uh, so far. Ollie Watkins has got assists coming out of his ears and goals coming out of his ears uh, this season and he may well cause Chelsea and their back line some problems this weekend. Let's get on to the rest of the weekend's action now, starting at Craven Cottage. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. 
With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Live on TalkSport at 7pm on Saturday night. It's Fulham against Newcastle. And I was speaking to Marco Silva late last night, uh, Crookie, and he said what we need is the same sort of level of performance from the fans again, raising the temperature inside the ground. They put a, a big effort in against Liverpool. Is it sort of a, a bit concerning that the players might be tired? Or is it good news, actually, as one guy said in the toilets after the game to me, the good news is we've got a big game on Saturday. We're not going back to play Burnley again. Well, that's interesting because I was going to say not only might the, the, the players be tired, the fans might be as well because, as you said, they used up so much energy to create a, a brilliant atmosphere in midweek. I think over the course of the two games, uh, Fulham were more than competitive uh, against Liverpool. But for a mistake from Bernd Leno, who knows what would have happened. But then you can caveat that and say that actually in the second half at Anfield, he made some big saves to keep them in the game. So probably Liverpool deserve victors. But I'm actually fancying Newcastle for this, just because it's such a short turnaround for Fulham. They've got the disappointment mentally and physically of going out at the semi-final stage when they had the chance to reach their first ever League Cup final. So I think if there's an opportunity for Newcastle to get back to winning ways and try and get some momentum, because it's been a pretty stodgy campaign for them so far, this is it. Having said that, their away form is really poor, isn't it, in the Premier League? Uh, yeah, and new, actually their form in general has been pretty poor recently for Newcastle United. Two wins in the last 10 matches, but Fulham have only won two of their last nine in 90 minutes. They do have Isaac, Anthony Gordon, Bruno Gamares all available um, this weekend. And although it isn't the deepest squad, Scott, that Newcastle have, they do have quality in that starting eleven. Absolutely. Uh, I think as a starting eleven, they can compete with with anybody in the Premier League and you know, just looking at their results, and obviously they haven't been good, but the last two games in the league have been Manchester City and uh, Liverpool. You know, the ones before that were disappointing. Forest at home and, and Luton away to to have defeats. In between that time, I thought they put on a masterclass against Sunderland. So they can handle that kind of situation. I, I'm I'm a bit of the... I, I know what your mate in the toilets was saying, but I think it's going to be very difficult for Fulham to lift themselves again. Uh, I think, look, it's a big game. It's FA Cup. The fans, I think, will be up for it again after what they saw. And I thought the fans should be very proud of, of the team and what they, how they played against Liverpool. I just think physically, as well as mentally, to, to go again, perhaps even more so physically, they gave absolutely everything and they're out on their feet and they were not far away from taking it to extra time. I just feel that if Newcastle can field a very good eleven, I think that would be too much for a tired Fulham side. Well, I think Eddie Howe will be looking at the league table, looking at the recent results and and thinking to himself, actually, <laughs> this is probably my best chance of winning a trophy this season. And yeah. he, won't, he, won't put, he won't try and pass that up, I wouldn't have thought. He's pretty clear on that, actually, even in the build-up to the Sunderland game that I did um, in the last round. Ipswich against Maidstone. It's a good tie, this, for Ipswich, in a way, because they're up against a National League South side. And, you know, they've got the opportunity to get to the, the fifth round of the competition. Although they're pros... The priority is definitely going to be on promotion to the Premier League. Actually, the opportunity to get a Premier League team in the fifth round, a bit of a money-spinning tie, a bit of exposure, something to keep the the, uh, the the run going. I think that would be quite uh, a good thing for Kieran McKenna, who's still desperate to, to, to get an automatic promotion spot. And they're still in the box seat to do so. I think this is a nightmare tie. For Ipswich, because I think if it was a, a, against a Premier League team, Kieran McKenna would be quite happy. We got to the fourth round, we've got our payday, let's crash out the FA Cup and concentrate on the league. But he can't do that, can he? Because it's embarrassing if you get rolled over by Maidstone, and even worse in many ways if they end up with a replay to, to clog up their fixture schedule. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that he's particularly happy with this draw. Ipswich should win. There's no question about that. They've proved themselves to be a really good team this season. But despite the fact they came from behind to get a point at Leicester um, on Monday night, they've not won that many games, have they, recently? They've, they've drawn a lot of matches. I love the fact that you said uh, Ipswich, who are going for promotion to the Premier League, um, should win against a National League side. You're absolutely right. They should win, yeah. Bold they, prediction. They should. Um... Um, do you know what though, Sam? I, I do agree with Crookie in in the sense that 
you know, they are out on their feet. They have got big boys trying to catch them up and are catching them up and breathing down their necks. And in an ideal world, no one wants to kind of throw away the FA Cup, but actually it would be better if, if they weren't in the next round and they could concentrate. Having said that, the next game is until the following Saturday. And there are a couple of midweek fixtures in February where they can he can start to maybe have to change the team there. But in terms of this, I still think he should pick his best team, get the game won, take some players off and get them ready for what's not another week ahead. So there's plenty of time to, to get ready for that Preston game. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, having that week when actually the Premier League teams haven't got a midweek mm. break, they've, they've they've got to play again. He's got the opportunity to to come in and rest them. And uh, they played Monday night, didn't they, this week as well? It so did. it's not like they've they've been they've been double bagging for the last two weeks. Um, right, okay. Let's move on to uh, Everton against Luton, which kicks off at three o'clock. Talksport two, two sides who could probably welcome an extra week's rest. Um, I, I, I don't know. I like the cup so much that I believe that instead of it being a rest, it's really just sort of an opportunity for others to sort of put their hand up and say, pick me, Gaffer, I can do a job for you. And I think that the fringe players that come into these teams, Crook, should see it like that. They should, uh, but it rarely works out that way, does it? There was uh, a big example, Bournemouth QPR in the third round. David Brooks got a rare start. He was given the captain's armband. And he was hauled off at half time because his performance was so bad. And I think you get more examples of where managers put out fringe sides that those players who come in, maybe because they're not used to playing with each other, but they just underwhelm. And often Premier League teams make it difficult for themselves. I don't think Sean Dyche will name a weakened side. He didn't against Crystal Palace in the two games. I think he's aware of Everton's history uh, in this competition. Um, and I think he will want to go deep and will believe that it can create a winning mentality. I think Rob Edwards might rest a few, so I think this is a great opportunity for Everton to get into the next round. Uh, Sheffield United probably rest a few with a big game against Crystal Palace on the horizon. They take on Brighton, and I mean Brighton uh, missed a few players in midweek, and they certainly have got uh, some injuries. Solly March probably not going to make it back for most of the rest of the season, but uh, Igor is heading back towards full fitness. Might well be involved in this game. Um, they haven't played since Monday either, so they'll be in a situation where I think they've got one or two coming back. I thought they were quite good in the match against um, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers on Monday night. They just didn't have the width that they needed to sort of spread the play. Um, they've got um, Europa League action to come as well, so they've got lots of things in um, their way in terms of hurdles over the course of the season, Scott. But Roberto De Zerbi, if he was to lead them to an FA Cup final, that would be a major feather in his cap. Oh, Absolutely. And again, you know, we are, I think we're all big fans of his style and, and what he's done and how he's taken it on from, from Graham Potter as well. But look, you know, they are a very good side. And again, with their best 11 playing well, they're a match for anyone. But it's difficult. You know, we're, we're talking about Brighton being seventh still in the league and, and balancing domestic and European cups. You know, what they've done in the Europa League to, to get through was, was something special and to win their group. So it's not an easy thing to do. But yeah, look, I, I do think, you know, if Sheffield United, I mean, look, there's never a better time to play Crystal Palace right now, is there? So there's no doubt about it. Chris Wilder will be having that in his in his sights. And if they do win that game, then, you know, there's a chance they might only be four points of getting out of the relegation zone. So again, I think he will make changes. I think it's an opportunity for Brighton. I don't think Brighton will necessarily play their strongest side, whether that's through injuries or not. It's a difficult one to call because, again, let's look at the team sheet and decide then. Now, we've talked too much about Crystal Palace, so uh, I, I won't go into it again. But they haven't played since they played that Arsenal game until they play on next Wednesday night. So that's 10 days off. Again, it begs the question, why did you not go for it in the first game against Everton and your schedule would be banging and everyone would still like you? For Christ's <laughs> sake, it seems so weird. <laughs> Uh, anyway, let's get on to Sunday's games. There's some big ones. We've got more live commentaries, three of them back-to-back -back on TalkSport. And we start at the Hawthorns. 11.45 Sunday, live. It is West Brom against Wolverhampton Wanderers, the big black country derby. Although, although, I think we should caveat this, first of all. Apparently, if you really drill down into the technical detail of geography of that particular area of the world, 
Wolverhampton is not in the black country. That's going to offend people. But lots of people have sent lots of messages already uh, to broadcasters up and down the land saying, it's not a black country, Derby, because wolves aren't in the, in the black country. And then you speak to people from that area and they say, well, yeah, but it depends on the fact that, you know, you're usually from that area if you support wolves and black. Either way, it's a massive grub match. I'll let the locals get a little bit territorial and we'll just talk about the football. And West Bromwich Albion, very good at home, Scott. But should Wolverhampton Wanderers have a little bit too much for them, really? Well, look, you know, you can turn around and say what a great season Gary O'Neill is having, and he is. And why can't they be looking for for possible Europe as well, if you look at the table, or certainly aiming for that, if not a a top 10 finish, would be sensational when you think about how the reaction was when he was first appointed as Wolves manager. But West Brom at home, they are a very difficult side to play against. I saw them before Christmas against Ipswich and they they won 2-0 and actually the scoreline didn't flatter them at all. Very good players, an incredible manager, I think, certainly at that level, how he's dealt with all the off-field problems. Yeah, they've lost only one of the last 12 home games, Crook, and that was against Leicester. And I was at that match and uh, West Bromwich Albion fought their way back after Leicester had taken the lead. And then they went all out to try and win the match right at the very end, like committing loads of players forward for a corner and ended up conceding on the counter break in the last few seconds of the match to Leicester. And it was sort of one of those games where you thought, oh, this underscores Leicester and their championship charge. But actually, it was just a bit naive from Carlos Corberan. Uh, as a team because they should never have presented them with that situation and probably just have taken the point. Um, It'll be key not to get het up in the emotion of the occasion this time around. Absolutely, because uh, I think this is similar to to the Sunderland-Newcastle game and to the the South Coast derbies that you and I have covered between Portsmouth and Southampton, where teams who are local rivals spend so much time in different divisions, therefore don't play each other very often. Absence certainly doesn't make the heart grow fonder. I think it only intensifies the rivalry. So this is going to be a, a really raucous occasion at the Hawthorns. I think Carlos Corbrand's a really good coach, actually. I think he did well at Huddersfield, and I think he's done well under difficult financial circumstances at West Brom. So this is this is not easy for Wolves and for Gary O'Neill, who I thought played well, particularly in the second half of the Amex on Monday. But without Huang, they missed a bit of an end product um, maybe they made some poor decisions in the final third at times. So I don't think Wolves have the firepower to blow a championship team as equipped as West Brom away. I could quite easily see this ending in a draw and, and maybe a replay at Molyneux. As I flick through the tables of the Africa Cup of Nations, I notice that Algeria managed to finish bottom of Group D um, in a group that also included Angola, Burkina Faso, Mauritania. Uh, and themselves. So it does mean that Ryan Aitnori could be available to come back into this squad uh, to bolster the numbers that Gary O'Neill has. Do you think they'll get him on a plane straight out of the Ivory Coast and straight to to, to Molyneux, Scott? I think if, if they're out the tournament, and, you know, absolutely, it would be get home as quickly as possible. Now, some players like to sort of switch their phone off for a couple of days and say, you know, I'm not not contactable, but I'm sure he won't be like that. <laughs> what? This, Does that happen? Well, you know, miss a plane or, or whatever, it, that certainly happens. Oh, um, hold on a second, Scott. Are you talking from someone's experience here? Have you got sort of no. details of someone doing that? No, I... I, I, I Never played for my country, and my country is England. So no, but um, I know. But did you see someone else do it? That's that's more of the question. I think um, maybe you've seen someone. No, I, I've, like I've I read just the other day actually. I can't remember who it was who who got fined for for missing their plane. Um, Karen Benzema. 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 Yeah, there you go. Um, do I remember anyone doing that? I can't off the top of my head. But look, obviously, I say it in jest. I think this is such a big game for the locals. And if you're talking about winning brownie points for the fans, then both managers will try and get their best 11, whatever that is. He might not be in a great state physically, who knows? But if he is, get him over, get him in the side. Because as I say, this is definitely a brownie point game for for the managers. Yeah, I mean, he's been playing Matt Doherty at left wing back and Matt Doherty's done a reasonable job for him. Did well actually on Monday night, but actually having someone 
left footed who can play on that role. As we know, Scott left backs are so very, very important. Uh, <laughs> talking of left backs, Andrew Robertson was back on the bench for Liverpool in midweek, and he may well be in line to be involved against Norwich. Uh, Trent Alexander could be involved in that too. Um, I thought Klopp, you know, rotated really well actually in the game against Fulham because my first glance at the team sheet was what. What are you doing? Why, why is Jota on the bench? He doesn't need to be on the bench. You're playing Norwich at the weekend and you're not playing uh, until midweek after that. What are you holding him back for? So the fact that he then only brought him on for the last 20 minutes of the game, I thought was really sensible. They rested Curtis Jones, who's become integral to his team over the course of the last few weeks as well. And Canate was given a rest too. So I would imagine that that means that when you think about it carefully, McAllister will get a rest this weekend. Um, Nunez may get a rest at the top end of the pitch or, 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 or Diaz and Virgil van Dijk will sit out the game against Norwich Norwich have got other priorities haven't they Crook? Yeah I think so um, they'll enjoy the occasion I think they'll probably rest some players they're not particularly pulling up any trees in the championship although they have improved of late and, and might fancy their chance of gate crashing the playoffs so this is this is a good draw for Liverpool uh, a chance to keep the, the momentum going. They were really good in the second half against Bournemouth in the game I was at last weekend. They got the job done against Fulham, as you say, resting players. I thought young Connor Bradley again was was excellent. So, you know, whether they rush, rush Trent Alexander-Arnold back for this game, I think is probably open to conjecture. But they've got the squad now, haven't they, Liverpool? And, you know, the work they did in the summer to, to, to sort of strengthen the midfield has, has given him options. They've certainly got options in those forward areas, even without Mo Salah. So I, I can't see past a comfortable Liverpool victory in this game. Uh, Crook uh, had a little conversation with me yesterday in which he uh, he wanted to talk about things I didn't want to talk about. Um, but um, he did say, as his parting gift to me, just have a, a, a little wager on uh, Liverpool to uh, win the game <laughs> in the second half on, uh, on, on Wednesday night. That didn't happen. But it, what it did was, is it planted a seed in my head to find out because um, I've always said, I've said it a few times during commentary, Liverpool's second half team, they come good in the second half, they score a lot of goals in the second half. Um, and I know that in the Premier League that happens and I had a statistic for their sort of Premier League goals that they score in the second half. But I decided to go back and count up all of their goals, right, over the course of, of, of the season. They scored 79 goals now, including the game against Fulham, right? 52 of them have come in the second half. 79 goals, 52 in the second half. 66% of all of their goals have come in the second period this season. And 29 of those goals have come in the final 15 minutes of games. That's over a third. I mean, that just shows you that not only mentality, but also fitness to keep going really late into the game. So, uh, yeah, I think there's every chance that we could see a late flurry of goals in this match. And there's usually goals when these two play because I've done a couple of Liverpool-Norwich games and they always end up with uh, goals galore. Liverpool won the last seven meetings between these teams with 28 goals scored in those encounters. Could be entertaining. Uh, what about the big one on Sunday? 4.30, exclusive to National Radio, only on Talk Sport. It is Newport County against Manchester United. And uh, this, is, this is a tough, tough, tough game for Graham Coughlin and his team to take on the might of Manchester United. Newport <laughs> only scored 13 goals in the last 10 home games. I mean, this... Oh, dear, oh, dear. Crook, I mean, if you were to lose to Newport, how how, how would you be feeling after that? I'd be feeling like Eric Ten Hag should get himself down the job centre. Um, I wrote a piece for one of the papers uh, in the afterglow of Newport's replay win at Eastleigh. And uh, my opening mm. line in that article was, who'd have thought the most important game of Eric Ten Hag's season would be Newport County away in the FA Cup. But I think it is that important because obviously they've already crashed out of Europe and the League Cup. They're nowhere near challenging for a top four place in the Premier League, let alone the Championship itself. So if he's going to get a trophy in the cabinet, this is it. And uh, with the performances that United have served up for much of the season, they can't afford to lose to Newport. So Jim Ratcliffe will be watching. If they lose to Newport, he's out the door. Maybe not this season, but certainly it, it puts the writing on the wall for the summer. So I think he'll name it a strong team. It's a brilliant game for Newport. I, I spoke to Graham Coughlin after that Eastleigh game. And he was really emotional. He's a lifelong Manchester United fan, as I'm sure you know. His family are all Manchester United fans. He said for him, this is the biggest game in Newport's history, despite the fact they've played Spurs and Manchester City in recent years, because he said United are still 
the biggest club in the world. And obviously, I didn't disagree with him. Mm. <laughs> He's a really good fella, is Graham Coughlin. And I spoke to him a lot uh, in advance of their game against um, Barnet earlier in the season. And he was sort of regaling tales of the early 80s and the cup, uh, the cup teams that uh, he used to watch as a kid um, with Manchester United. And he sort of... Uh, He's just a brilliant character. He's been working in such difficult circumstances, Scott. They haven't had a chairman or a chief executive uh, over the course of the season. He got a phone call um, during the summer whilst he was on holiday, and he but you're sort of you know football managers don't really have that much time off, like they really don't, especially lower league managers that are managing so many other things than just the first team. And he he gets a phone call. Can you come into the ground? He's oh not really. Uh, but, you know, comes off his holiday, goes into the ground. They said, look, we've got a problem. We've found that we've got a £1.2 million black hole in the finances. The chief executive leaves. You know, there's no structure above him. He and his assistant are just working their nuts off over the course of the season to keep them sort of going. And then Hugh Jenkins is trying to buy the club because he thinks he can take it on and turn it into something different. And then that takeover... That to be ratified by the EFL takes ages. In fact, I think it was done just this week, actually, uh, that that's gone through now. Uh, but he's been working in really tough circumstances. And if anything, I'd say this is his reward because there'll be a bumper crowd down at Rodney Parade. The atmosphere will be great and they'll make a ton of cash out of it, Scott. You've just want me, made me want uh, Newport to win even more now. After <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look... In terms of Ten Hag, he's not going anywhere till the end of the season, even if they get knocked out. I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe will... They're not getting knocked out by Newport. Come on, well, get real. Yeah, OK, even if they get knocked out. Well, I'm just saying, even if they do, and they can't, obviously, but even if they do, you know, he's going to be judged on to the end of the season. But it is about the FA Cup for United because... And it will be papering over the cracks. Look, they're, they're 11 points off Villa in fourth at the moment. And even fifth, which is a possibility, but not a guarantee... They're eight points away. So it's all the eggs in this basket. They still have to finish the season really well. It's not just about the FA Cup um, if he is to keep his job. But, I mean, isn't this ultimately, we had a discussion about what the FA Cup is all about. Isn't Mm. this ultimately what the FA Cup is all about? This is the FA Cup. West Brom Wolves, Newport versus Man United. This is the FA Cup. This is what it can do to you. It brings together two teams that never... Uh, well, haven't played each other for ages. Wolves haven't won at West Brom since 1996. Um, Newport entertaining Manchester United, fourth division against first division, you know, the old school, tinfoil cups, all that kind of stuff. We want to see it. That's going to be great. Listen, I, I just got to say this right now. I actually, I want Manchester United to be successful. I really do. I think it's good for the Premier League if Manchester United is successful because they're yeah. the biggest, one of the biggest brands in the in the league, them and Liverpool. And it's good to have them sort of competing and, and doing their business. But, the fact that it is a vehicle for us to take the mick out of Crook is the only reason we approach it in such a way. That, that That's literally it. If he supported any other team, would be on them as much as Absolutely. well. You know, it's, 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 it's nothing to do with Manchester United. It's purely personal. It's purely it, it's personal what it is. there. <laughs> Hated, right, adored, okay. never uh, ignored. <laughs> You're talking about yourself. <laughs> I'll leave it there. <laughs> Oh, my God, he's just compared himself to Manchester United. Uh, One week to go in the January transfer window. So, we've got loads of great action that's surely going to happen. Crook's phone is, is almost as hot as an ice cube. You know what he said to me um, yesterday, Scott, when I was firing crooks, we just sort of, we, me and him, we fire through little stories to each other all the time, okay? It's constant, you know. It's almost like we've sort of um, got an umbilical cord between the two of us, just, just passing on little bits of information. So, you know, yesterday, we were sort of chatting away about some bits and pieces, and I sent him some figures from the, the January transfer window. And uh, one of those figures, it's quite startling, I thought, and I'm just going to get it up on my phone now because I thought it was quite sort of, Quite quite pertinent, I think, to the to, to the way that we view the January transfer window. It, over the course of the season so far, uh, we've got nine days to go until the, the deadline. Maybe just a little bit more. One big permanent deal: the only senior first team player signed for a fee by a Premier League club this season. One uh, this month. 
one player signed by a, a, a Premier League club that's going to be a senior first-team player, and that is Tottenham Hotspur's genuine defender, Radu Dragusin. Apart from that, there hasn't really been any more. I think £34 million has been spent overall by Premier League clubs during the course of this window. And compare that to, can you, um, Crookie, to what happened last year. How much was spent? Well, I think it was close to £800 million, um, in the last January transfer window. So it is an incredible decline. And actually, uh, while we've been recording this, we've had a, a WhatsApp message in the breaking news group that you and I are both in, suggesting that reports in Germany are linking Manchester City and Liverpool with Joshua Kimmich at uh, Bayern Munich and suggesting that if that deal was to go through for £40 million, that would double the spending of Premier League clubs so far. It isn't going to go through because as much as I know Man City certainly admire the player, Bayern won't let him go in this transfer window. I think it's probably just him jostling for a new contract. I'm not sure we're going to see too many more paid-for signings between now and the end of the window. West Ham probably because they're one of the few clubs who have money to spend uh, thanks to selling Declan Rice. But I think that agent, you remember, mentioned to me a few weeks ago that 80% of the Premier League are concerned about profit and sustainability rules. I think he's bang on the money. I, I just don't yeah. think hardly anybody in the league can spend. So if we're going to see some action, I think we will see some action between now and next Thursday. I think we're going to see a lot of loan deals, potentially uh, with options to buy. Although even in the case of Calvin Phillips, from what I understand, that option isn't set in stone because West Ham aren't completely certain that they can take on his wages as a permanent signing at the end of the season. So... I wonder, is this a sign of things to come in future windows or an anomaly? I think probably it's a sign of things to come. I have been saying to you that I think the transfer market is going to collapse. And the reason that I thought it was going to collapse is not only the FFPs, because nobody else in world football is paying the level of transfer fees that we are. So you're almost sort of a bit of an, the Premier League's in an echo chamber where it's sort of trading between itself and paying other people huge amounts of money to get their players out. And they've sort of fallen for the fact that you know, if Milan have a great player, and they're going to sell it to an, a, a player in Serie A. They're going to get twenty million for that player. And then, if a Premier League come, club comes sniffing around, all of a sudden they go, "Well, hold on, we're going to get sixty million for him now." See Rasmus Hoyland for details. Um, you know, the inflation for Premier League clubs has been high. So now Premier League clubs have got wise to it, surely. And the FFP thing has sort of brought their sort of tolerance level for a spending down. They're now going, ah, "I'm not going to get involved in that." And the whole thing has just come down to a grinding halt. And I just wonder if that sort of undermines the Todd Bowley model, by the way, which was buy cheap, then sell high price later down. Who to? Um, and uh, it might just sort of mean that we see a lot more loan deals between clubs rather than transfers over the course of the next few years. Interesting. Talk to me about Calvin Phillips, Scott, because uh, it was mentioned there by uh, Crookie that they didn't know West Ham whether they can take on the wages. He's on a huge whack at Manchester City. But it's all about, for him, getting game time, isn't it? Mm. But that's not guarantee when you've got Edson Alvarez, who's arguably terrific, second-best player in that position in the league at this moment in time behind Rodri. Uh, James Ward-Prowse, Socek, all playing very well in the middle of the park. Well, it is an interesting one. I mean, Calvin Phillips, the fact that he hasn't played, he, he and you almost, as a manager nowadays, can't guarantee a player first-team football, but he almost has to be guaranteed first-team football. So I think it looks like Moisey does want him. So what would that mean? Well, Alvarez, you're right, is not going to be dropped. He'd have to be playing alongside him. Um, you've got Kudus, Bowen, Pakata, Ward-Prowse. So I think it probably means, and I think striker is, is where they need uh, to buy, really, but doesn't everybody. Um, but Jared Bowen has done a very good job doing temporarily that position. So I think he'd go there. You'd have Kudos one side, you'd have Pakata. You'd have Ward Prowse, who was able to push on. And as Crookie has said on several times, because I do listen to TalkSport, and unfortunately he's on far too many times, but he's absolutely spot on. Um, it's, you know, there's the, there's the Europa League to think about as well. So if they need a depth of squad and players get injured, players get suspended, and you need to be able to rotate. Yeah. If only we were available at the beginning of the uh, FA Cup campaign, they may well have got past Bristol City as well. Mm. Um, yeah, that'd be frustrating for West Ham fans. But listen, they're in the Europa League last 16. They've done a very good job in the Premier League as well. So they may well kick on uh, over the course of the next few weeks. So just quick word on Gio Reyna. Um, he's never really sort of hit the heights, has he, as many people expected. Is he really going to come to the Premier League? 
Well, it, it looks like a straight shootout between Forrest and Marseille. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, obviously happy to let him go. I think there's an agreement um, in place with both those clubs. So it's basically up to Rainer to decide. He changed agents recently to George Mendes. So uh, I'm sure that's uh, that's a coincidence that Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, one of Mendes' most high, highest profile client, happens to be the Nottingham Forest manager. There's a good chance he ends up at Forest. <laughs> I did read an article today um, which suggested um, that Nottingham Forest could be in quite a degree of financial trouble should they get relegated. And this is because apparently a lot of their players do not have relegation clauses in their contract, which then tampers down their contract. Is that is that something that you've also seen, Crookie? Yeah, which, which is bonkers, really, because you look at... Um... Southampton, when they were relegated last season, most of their players um, had to take 50% pay cuts, which is why a lot of them ended up leaving the football club in, in the summer. For a, a newly promoted club not to have those kind of clauses in contracts is is unforgivable, really. And you can't say, well, the squad have come up with them from the championship because they haven't. They've signed so many players as a Premier League <laughs> club. And I think maybe it's a little bit of arrogance on behalf of the owner, Maranakis, because after all, he did tell Jim White the Forest weren't there just to avoid relegation. They were going to compete for titles and, and cups. Well, still a long way to go in the Premier League season, but the FA Cup takes centre stage this weekend and not on UK TV, but available on your radio. The milk and honey of Crook and Minto bring you Chelsea against <laughs> Aston Villa. I'll let you work out which one's the sour milk that's gone off and or one that's honey. Um, Tottenham against Manchester City is at 8 o'clock on TalkSport. On Saturday, Ipswich versus Maidstone. Game Day Live takes you round the grounds with Adrian Durham, David Nugent, uh, Adrian Clark, and Mickey Gray. And then 3 o'clock, Everton against Luton. Fulham against Newcastle is 7 o'clock. Sunday, we've got West Brom, Wolves, Liverpool, Norwich, and Newport against Manchester United. And it doesn't stop there because on Monday, guess what? we I'm going to Blackburn against Hollywood Wrexham. Can't wait for that. FA Cup fourth round action on TalkSport 2 on Monday night. And that's going to be bigger. I'll tell you why it's going to be bigger than anything, right? That Blackburn-Wrexham game. Because that, that tie is going to come out of the hat on Sunday afternoon and it's going to get the winners of Newport Manchester United. There's my prediction for the weekend. Tell me if I'm wrong. We'll be back on Monday. 